Blog Talk Radio. show everybody I got a debate breakdown for you um the answer is yes I will get to the feud between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders very soon uh I don't know how much you could really call it a feud when it's massively massively one-sided but uh we'll get to that that'll be the second story that we do so hang in there I know that's what everybody's waiting for um but I do want to give you a breakdown of the debate first and then I have a bunch of clips from the debate uh, to go through as well, Bernie was asked a question on trade. Joe Biden m- makes absolutely no sense. We're going to compare and contrast Bernie Sanders' closing statement with uh, Joe Biden's closing statement. Mayor Pete is using talking points from 1992. There's a lot to talk about there. Um, and then, I mean, I'm going to go through specific CNN questions that are just absolutely abysmal. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to get to in today's debate breakdown. Sit back, relax, let's do it. I know it's a day late, but believe me, it's going to be worth it. <clears throat> so we had a Democratic debate a couple nights ago. Uh, CNN hosted it. And um, I was on the verge of a medical event as I was watching it. Blood pressure was definitely skyrocketing. Um, I just felt uneasy. And I felt uneasy because I couldn't believe that what we were watching was part of this official process to pick a president of the United States of America. Um, The questions were beyond abysmal. Um, The candidates, nobody really stood out to me. I think it was just, it's all scrambled in my head and I, I couldn't get past my seething rage at CNN to even fully digest what the candidates were saying. And I watched the debate twice. 
So first, let me give you the losers. The losers are, as I already alluded to, CNN is the number one loser. Um, they recycled questions that have been asked a thousand times. The questions that were original were framed from not just a right-wing perspective, a far right-wing perspective, and they were all, across the board, biased against Bernie Sanders. Now, I will get to examples of this later. You don't have to just take my word for it. There will be multiple segments where I go through specific questions, and we pause and reflect on how stupid the questions are. But CNN is the number one loser by far. The number two loser is the American people. Because if you are relatively apolitical and you tuned into this last night, and it's the only debate you ever tuned into, you learned Dickie McGee's act. You learned absolutely nothing. You learned that uh, you know, most of the candidates on stage are just virtue signaling pricks. Um, and you learn that CNN is fundamentally incapable of doing a half-decent job. And honestly, the third loser is every candidate on stage. Now, um, the first time I watched it, i got to be honest with you guys, I thought Bernard bombed. I did, because nothing stood out to me about his night. Nothing stood out. I thought that he kind of let Biden get off the hook yet again. The only issue he hits him on is the Iraq war. He hasn't touched the bankruptcy bill. He hasn't touched... Um, Biden repeatedly calling for cutting Social Security over the years. Biden is fundamentally a weak candidate, but he's leading in many of the states after the first four contests. On Super Tuesday, he's got a giant lead in a lot of these states. So you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. This is the last debate before Iowa, and I just didn't think he went after him aggressively enough. Um, And then, of course, you have the Elizabeth Warren-Bernie Sanders fiasco. We'll get to that. Uh, you know, in, in the next segment that we do here. But you have two candidates on stage. On paper, they're the most progressive candidates. And Elizabeth Warren is repeatedly putting a hatchet in Bernie Sanders' back. And honestly, the only conclusion I could come to at this late date and, and doing what she's doing at this time in the race is that she cut a deal with Biden. That might sound conspiratorial, but her polling is abysmal at the moment. Um, and, you know, if you're on her team, you might know, eh, she ain't going to really go anywhere. So, you know, trying to take down Bernie Sanders, the only person that helps is Joe Biden. So did Joe Biden offer her a VP slot? Did Joe Biden offer her a Treasury Secretary? What did Joe Biden offer her to do this? Because, you know, I get the sense that she's definitely playing politics here. But, you know, I digress from that. Again, we'll get to the Bernie uh, Warren thing in a little bit. But I think every candidate on stage lost out. Uh, now, the second time I watched it, I, I, I calmed down a little bit because Bernie's performance wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, but it also, I, I still don't think it was that good. There was nothing memorable. He did let Biden off the hook. Um, even with the Elizabeth Warren thing, you could argue that he's taking the high road and that's a good idea. But I know that a lot of people viscerally feel like, come on, man, you can't just let her get away with defining you as a sexist and you're, you know, not really hitting back, only saying, no, I didn't say the thing she said I said. So, uh, you know, terrible. And then if we go through the specific candidates, which I don't want to do, Joe Biden was barely coherent. Uh, Mayor Pete was, you know, Christian Bale in American Psycho or Joe from You on Netflix. That's the, I always get that vibe from him. Tom Steyer is an affable dude, but everybody and their mother knows he bought his way on stage. So please move business, get out the way, get out the way. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is dead to like 90% of the left, which, which would have, I think, voted for her in a general election if it got to that point. It's not going to get to that point, I don't think. But if it got to that point, 90% of the left would have voted for her. 
Now she's ruining all the good graces she had left with the left. And now all people can think about are what she's doing to Bernie now and what she did in 2016 when she didn't endorse him. So, you know, congrats, Elizabeth Warren. This plan she had massively backfired. Klobuchar is Klobuchar, and she's there, and nobody knows why. And she's doing her whole goofy, I'm a centrist, tee-hee-hee, I'm running in 1992, yay! And, you know, the media's like, oh, Klobuchar, next president, yes! Oh, hell, the Klobuchars are, yes! And it's just like, oh, God, you guys are all so dumb. So, yeah, I was miserable. I was miserable as I watched the debate. When I watched it a second time, I nearly had a conniption because I was like, oh, my God, I have to watch this thing again. Uh. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think the losers are CNN, the American people, every candidate on stage, and the winners, honestly, Donald Trump. He's the only winner. And I say that because there was clearly a concerted effort to – shove a knife into Bernie Sanders' back and twist it because he's leading in uh, a lot of the early states. So I think corporate media woke up and the other Democrats woke up and even the Republicans are now going after Bernie hardcore and they realized, okay, well, let's try to destroy this guy. And um, they're throwing everything they got at him, man. The heavy artillery, everything, the kitchen sink. They're throwing it at him, man. It's And since that's happening, and since I didn't think he had a stellar performance, that got me nervous, and that got me sad. And I think the only winner here is Donald Trump, because I've never been more certain that Bernie is the only candidate, certainly at this stage, viable candidate, who I think will beat Donald Trump. I think Joe Biden is immensely weak, barely coherent, stumbling all over the place, and still somehow leading in so many of the states. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren is her... Either her team's political instincts or her political instincts are the worst I've ever seen. And this, you know, let me go all in on on Bernie being a Texas thing is like colossally backfiring. Um, And by the way, it is a concerted effort because so many times during the debate she brought up that she would be the first female president. Like, yeah, we know. Now, so now this is your strategy at this late date. You're going to go all in on the identity stuff that Hillary used in 2016, which lost. So I've never been more sure that Bernie's the one of the viable candidates that can beat Trump, and everybody else is a pretty big underdog. I think that, you know, you could argue Tulsi and Yang would be slight favorites over Trump, but they're so far back that they're effectively out of it. So, like, we don't even need to bring them up because of the viable candidates. Bernie's the only one who I think would beat Trump. So I think Donald Trump was the winner last night because they did everything they could to take down the one person who could definitely defeat Trump. So, and let's reflect on that point for a second because it's so important that they scream at us all the time, unity, 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 unity. And then Elizabeth Warren tries to leak a story saying Bernie Sanders is sexist. All the corporate media and all the Democrats on stage try to destroy Bernie. If you actually cared about beating Trump above all else, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going this hard in the paint and this vicious and doing low blows like this against the guy who really is the front runner, now would you? So they don't believe in the unity thing. It's just a talking point. It's just a way to get the left to shut up and fall in line. So don't fall for it. But this debate did a disservice to America. Again, we're going to get to more specifics on it. But, um, oh, sweet Jesus, you got to elect Bernie. (laughs) Now, the only good news is it really does look like Elizabeth Warren's gross strategy here is backfiring. 
and Bernie Sanders raised some absurd amount of money. It was like $4 million in two days or something. He, they, they broke their fundraising record for the debate. So obviously people were feeling some type of way about the way Bernie was being treated, and they were rushing to his defense, which is good, and that's a good sign. But still, I'm just nervous, and you can't blame me because so much is riding on this election, and this might be our last real good shot in a long time to get social democracy. And um, when you're seeing people who are even supposed to be allies just totally throwing Bernie under the bus, man, that hurts. I'd be lying to you guys if I said it didn't hurt. Okay, um, now we'll get to the Bernie and um, Bernie and Warren thing. Oh boy, here we go, here we go. So I reckon this is what everybody was waiting for. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Elizabeth Warren-Bernie Sanders feud going on right now, if you can call it that, because it's massively one-sided. But a few days ago, uh, Elizabeth Warren's team leaked a story. And the story was, in 2018, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren had a meeting. And Elizabeth Warren's team argues, four unnamed sources say, that in the talks, by the way, none of those people were actually in the room for the talks, but they say, well, in the talks, Bernie Sanders told Elizabeth Warren, I don't think a woman can win. I don't think a woman can beat Trump. Now, before we dive deeper into this, I need you to stop and think about the timing of this. We just got a round of polls, which shows Bernie Sanders leading in many of the early states. Uh, Also, the same day this story leaked, there's a new poll of him leading in California. Bernie Sanders is in a very strong position right now. Now, you still have the South you have to worry about, and Joe Biden is doing really well in the South, and Joe Biden is a clear frontrunner in many states. So it appears like the race is really down to Biden versus Bernie. That's, that's what it is. That's what the numbers show. Elizabeth Warren has fallen off the map. Slowly but surely, she's fallen off the map. So a couple weeks before Iowa, before the voting begins, Elizabeth Warren's team slash Elizabeth Warren, because they would... She has to greenlight a story like this. Her staff can't go rogue and do something like this. So she green, greenlights a story to be leaked to the press, which became a huge story where the argument is Bernie Sanders, and this is the implication, Bernie Sanders is a sexist. That's the implication here. I can't believe Bernie Sanders said a woman can't win. A woman can't beat Trump. Oh, can you believe it, sexist? That's the implication. Now, of course... Bernie Sanders comes out and denies this. Elizabeth Warren then releases a statement that says, yeah, you know, see, what happened was, uh, the thing is that Bernie Sanders said that, but I don't really want to talk about this, and I don't really want to focus on this, and him and I are mostly allies, so anyway, let's drop it and move on. So, you know, let me decode that for you from politician speak. I don't want to call my friend a sexist, but I'm going to call my friend a sexist, and I'm going to confirm that indeed he is a sexist, but I don't want to talk about it any further, because maybe I can't really back this up at all. Anyway, moving on, tee hee hee. This is gutter politics. This is dirty politics. So now, that's the backstory. Then the night after is the debate. And 
they're asked about this. Now, I want you to notice not just the back and forth between Bernie and Warren here, but also the framing of CNN to show you which side they're really on. Take a look. yesterday that and Senator Sanders Senator Warren confirmed in a statement uh, that in 2018 you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election why did you say that well ah. in fact, I didn't say it uh, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media wants. Uh, anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of this of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stay back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did, I did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. <laughs> but if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So Senator Sanders. Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? Wow. Wow. I disagree. Bernie is my friend, and I'm not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, and I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. person on this stage who has beaten an incumbent Republican any time in the past 30 years is me. And here's what I know. The real danger that we face as Democrats is picking a candidate who can't pull our party together or someone who takes for granted big parts of the Democratic constituency. We need a candidate who will excite all parts of the Democratic Party bring everyone in, and give everyone a Democrat to believe in. That's my plan, and that is why I'm going to win. Is that the record straight? I defeated an incumbent Republican uh, running for Congress. When? 1990. That's how I won, beat a Republican congressman. <laughs> Number two. Of course, years ago. I don't think there's any debate up here. What, wasn't it? 30 years ago? I beat an incumbent Republican congressman. And I said, I was the only one who's beaten an incumbent Republican in 30 years. Well, 30 years ago, in 1990, as a matter of fact. 
but I don't know that that's the major issue of the day. I think what the major issue of the day is, look, does anybody in their right mind think that a woman cannot be elected president? That's enough. Nobody believes that. Hillary Clinton got three million votes, more votes than Trump. So who believes that a woman can't win? Of course a woman can win. But the real question is, how do we beat Trump? And the only way we beat Trump is by, is by a campaign of energy and excitement and a campaign that has by far the largest voter turnout in the history of this country. That entire exchange made my blood boil. I can't adequately explain to you how triggered this conversation makes me. So first of all, the framing from CNN, they asked Bernie, why did you say it? And he's like, I didn't say it. And then they're like, Elizabeth Warren, how did you feel when he said it? If you went out there with the intention of proving bias, you couldn't do it more clearly than that. I mean, that's, that's stunning. And then I love how Elizabeth Warren goes on to give her thesis as to why, indeed, women can win. As if anybody's arguing against that. Nobody's arguing against that. Well, you know, let me tell you why I know women can win. And the women on this stage have been the most successful and the men have been the least successful. So here's my theory and here's my thesis. And I'll explain in detail why, indeed, women can win. We know. Nobody's arguing against that. You're arguing against, you know, you're shadow boxing. <laughs> you're arguing against a straw man. Nobody's disagreeing. But you're trying to give people the perception that there's a disagreement so you can walk away with your virtue signaling points and be, I'm pro-woman and I'm a woman. I mean, this is, this is incomprehensible. I mean, it really is sickening because this is a strategy where they went all in and the idea was try to paint Bernie Sanders as a sexist. Now, to the, to the important question here, which is, well, did he actually say it? Guys, this is the most progressive senator of your lifetime and my lifetime. This is a guy who, there are videos of him in 1987, before I was born, and 1988, when I was born, saying, yes, a woman, a, a woman can win, and, it, you know, politics are changing to be more pro-woman, but not fast enough. This is him, 1987, 1988. Bernie Sanders asked Elizabeth Warren to run against Trump, or actually this was during the primary when we didn't even know who the Republican nominee would be, uh, b before the primary, I should say, he asked her to run in 2015. And the only reason he ran is because she said, I don't want to run. Is this a guy who anybody in their right mind would think, yeah, he'd be probably behind closed doors. He's like, hey, Tut, you're not ready for the big leagues. Never in a million years would Bernie say something like that. Now, so here are the options, guys. Here are the options. Either, either Elizabeth Warren and her team are lying, and they're doing this to try to score political points, and they're doing this to try to knock him out of first place. That's a possibility. The only other possibility, as far as I could see it, is she's wildly mischaracterizing his words, either on purpose or not. Maybe she actually believes she's interpreting something he said as a woman can't win, when he could have said something along the lines of, you know, because of sexism, it's harder for a woman to get elected. They have an unfair disadvantage because there's still a lot of sexism in the country. 
Now, if Bernie said that, and her interpretation is, he said a woman can't win, think about how disingenuous that is. Because that line of argument is a line of argument that, like, super woke people made in 2016 after Hillary Clinton lost. Their line of argument was, man, it really is unfair, and it's really hard for a woman to win because sexism gives a massive unfair, you know, gives them a disadvantage. And, you know, it's not right, it's not cool, it's not fair, but it's a harder hill to climb for a woman because of how sexist and backwards the country is. There were so many articles saying that after Hillary Clinton lost. So if if Bernie Sanders said anything remotely close to what they're saying he said, it would have been that. It would have been like, you know, hey, because of sexism, it's a lot harder for a woman to win. Now, that's not cool. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I want to change that. But I think that's the reality of the situation. So again, either they're lying or they're, she's wildly, and Elizabeth Warren's team is wildly mischaracterizing what Bernie Sanders said. Either way, it's unacceptable. And guys, let's be honest, with the timing of it and everything, it's a political hit job. And the thing that a lot of people are not taking the next step of saying, which I think we can absolutely speculate about at this point, is did she cut a deal with Joe Biden? Because her numbers are not looking good. You know, she's barely, barely hanging on to having any chance at all in this race right now. So, you know, what, if she doesn't attack like this, maybe she claws 1% or 2% up, which leaves her still way behind. I think the intended effect of this move was to knock Bernie Sanders out of first place in the early states. Who does that help? Joe Biden. Now, you're telling me she had this meeting with Bernie where Bernie outs himself as a terrible, terrible sexist. She sits on it for two years and just happens to leak it a few days before Iowa, a few weeks before Iowa. Whoopsie! Oh, that timing! Oh, did I accidentally hurt Bernie going into Iowa? Oh, my bad. That wasn't intentional. Unity, everybody on the left, shut up. Unity, unity, unity. Don't, don't you dare respond to me. What did Biden offer her? VP? Secretary of Treasury? This only benefits Biden. Now, there's a chance that it backfired so hard on Warren that it helped Bernie and that is reflected a little bit in the, in the donations because, you know, he's shattering all these donation records over the past two or three days since this story leaked. Because I think a lot of people know this is obviously a political hit job and you're trying to smear the most progressive senator of our lifetimes as a sexist. So it's possible it backfires to, to help Bernie, but I don't know, man. I don't know. It would have been better if this never happened, I think because the recent round of polls were amazing for Bernie. And every percentage point matters. If he loses 1%, 2%, that could be huge. That could be the difference in Iowa. And the difference in Iowa could make the difference for the entire race. Because as of right now, the Bernie Sanders strategy is overwhelm in the first four states. And then if you overwhelm in the first four states, it changes the nature of the race. And you have the bandwagon effect. And then Bernie does pretty well on Super Tuesday. And he could win that way. But if Bernie doesn't do well in the first four states, that's trouble because Biden has a giant lead on Super Tuesday. So, you know, listen, I, you know, I can't get out of my head now thinking about what Elizabeth Warren did in 2016. Bernie wanted her to run. She said no, so he ran. Then she didn't endorse him. 
and he lost Massachusetts by the tiniest amount. Now, a lot of people on the progressive left never got over that. And they were like, wow, so you're like a charlatan. You're not endorsing the person who you nominally on paper agree with more. Why? Why? Because you want to maintain some sway over Hillary Clinton? Because you want to be in Hillary Clinton's cabinet? Because you think Bernie Sanders doesn't have a chance? Look at the lack of political courage. Well, now it's crystal clear that everybody who was saying that back then, they were spot on. Perhaps many of us were way too lenient on her and thought like, oh, no, there's a strategic reason for doing this because she wants to have influence over Hillary when she's in power and therefore move her to the left. Maybe Elizabeth Warren is just a rank careerist. But you don't do this to your friend. You don't lie or mischaracterize a conversation you had two years ago and try to portray him as a sexist when he's the most progressive senator of our lifetimes and do it at a crucial time in the race when he needs every point and he's doing well and he's the front runner in the first four states. So listen, on Twitter, there was a lot of stuff trending about Elizabeth Warren. Every time she tweeted something the past few days, there's a whole bunch of responses that are the snake emoji. Everybody's saying she's a snake now. Look at what she did. Stabbing Bernie in the back and twisting. Twisting the knife. I mean, it's where we're at right now. What do you want me to tell you guys? There are a lot of, there's, there's a, a brand of progressive commentary right now that's like acting like, oh, why are Bernie and Warren feuding? This isn't cool. Come on, guys. You're the two most progressive candidates. Stop with all these misunderstandings. I think that is a fundamentally naive view to take. I do. Because, again, with the timing of it, with how she's lacking in the polls, with where Bernie is in the polls, with how this only helps Biden, the only takeaway, the only reasonable thing that makes sense of all of this is she cut a deal with Biden and she's trying to knife Bernie in the back and twist it. So it's not, you can't do a, a, a he said, she said false equivalence deal on this. You just can't because it's one side that is viciously throwing the other side under a bus. So there is no equal culpability here. This isn't mommy and daddy fighting. This is mommy knifing daddy in the back and twisting it. That's what it is. Any commentary that misses that reality, I think, is fundamentally naive right now. I do. And I think they don't know politics at all. So it's a shame, man. But Elizabeth Warren did it again. This is the 2016 moment of not endorsing Bernie. That's what this is. And maybe even worse, because the polls show Bernie is the favorite in the first four states. And can this alter the race in a negative direction? Sure. Can it have no effect? Yes. Can it alter it in a positive direction? Possibly. But it's still, I think it would have been better if none of this happened, because then we wouldn't have to guess about the state of the race. We would know the state of the race. Oh, this hurt, man. This did hurt. This did hurt. Even from like a weird personal perspective, it's like, oh my God, she did it again, and she's doing it on purpose. And she had hired a bunch of um, Hillary staffers and Kamala staffers recently. And now there is a clear pivot and an all-in move towards let's talk about how I'd be the first female president and do it relentlessly, and now using, trying to use sexism against Bernie Sanders. Man. She gets, she gets a little bit down in the polls, and all of a sudden she turns to tactics like this. Now, if she would turn on her friend 
of years like this. Imagine what she'd do as president and how she'd turn on that agenda that she pretended to care about. Okay. All right, I'm going to go, um, I will show you what happened after the debate now. Everybody wants to hear about this, too. So you all know about the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders scandal. Her and her team leaked a story implying that Bernie Sanders is massively sexist. Um, Then they were asked about it at the debate. Bernie Sanders denied ever having said, a woman can't win, because honestly, I mean, I think the idea is silly that he would ever say that. Elizabeth Warren is either lying or grossly mischaracterizing what he said. I could picture Bernie saying something like, because of sexism, it is unfairly more difficult and harder for a woman to win. I could see him saying that, but she could have twisted that into, oh, he said a woman can't win. So anyway, he says, I didn't say it. She says, I felt so bad I disagreed when he said it. And then after the debate, this moment happened. still ringing at the end of the Democratic debate in Iowa last night, the simmering feud between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders suddenly boiled over. I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. If you want to have that discussion, we'll have that discussion. You called me a liar. You told me. All right, let's not do it right now. I don't want to get in the way. I just want to say hi to Yeah, good. Okay. She walked away without a handshake after intentionally trying to de-escalate the fight earlier in the debate. Oh, oh. He is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But Warren wanted to make a point that a woman can win the presidency. It was one of the most memorable lines of the night. Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women. Look at the framing from CNN. Look at the framing. They said that Warren tried to de-escalate this issue. It was her and her team that leaked the story. Bernie Sanders is a sexist. That was the implication. And then Bernie says, no, I'm not. And she goes, I felt terrible when you said that. And then she goes on. CNN called it the most memorable line when she goes on to explain how, indeed, women do have the ability to win. And uh, people are wrong when they say that women don't. But nobody said that. Nobody said women don't have the ability to win. Nobody said that. Bernie vehemently denied that he said that. But CNN is framing it as like, well, Elizabeth Warren tried to de-escalate and be the bigger person. And Elizabeth Warren laid out the facts and had a memorable line about when she said women can win. As if there's a debate going on on stage. And, and Bernie and like other dudes on stage are like, you know, I don't think these broads are cut out for it, Jack. Oh, uh, uh, guys, let me explain something to you. This is why the media is despised. Did you know 41%, 41% of the country trust the media? That's a low number. You know what percentage has a, a quote, great deal of trust? 13%. You wonder why. Because nobody likes the press. Right wing, left wing, doesn't matter. Right wing, left wing, chicken wing, it, nobody, nobody likes them. Because they do stuff like this. This is dishonest. This is disingenuous. That framing is a lie. That's what that is. That framing is a lie. Totally misleads you. One of the most memorable moments of the night. According to who? According to who? According to you. 
according to you, when she was shadow boxing and pretending like other people on stage were saying women can't win, and she said, I think they can, according to you, those, that virtue signaling angle where you're beating a straw man to death, oh, yeah, that's, oh, my God, so memorable. Donald Trump has a 45% approval rating. The media has 41% favorability. Donald Trump is more popular than the media. And you think it's not broken? The media is broken. Okay. Guys, Bernie Sanders, there's video of him in 1987 and 1988, before I was born, out there saying a woman can win and our, our society's changing and not changing fast enough. We've got to get more uh, you know, to a position of women in politics. Bernie Sanders asked Elizabeth Warren to run in 2015. Bernie Sanders campaigned endlessly for Hillary Clinton, over 30 events. You think the most progressive senator in the country is behind closed doors saying, I don't think a woman can win? I think that's utter nonsense. And I think he, Elizabeth Warren is either flat out lying or Bernie Sanders said something like, because of sexism, women have an unfair disadvantage and it's harder for them to win which is a whole genre of woke opinion, but now it gets flipped on him as if it's the exact opposite and he's sexist. This is upsetting. Now, when Elizabeth Warren goes up to him afterwards and says, I think you just called me a liar on national TV, I gotta be honest with you guys, man. I think that was all staged. You're, you're walking up to him immediately after the debate. You got microphones all around you. Did Elizabeth Warren really think this wouldn't be picked up on microphones? Of course she thought it would be picked up on microphones. I think this was a plan. I think that her and her team said, well, they knew he was going to deny it. So after the debate, walk up to him and say, did you just call me a liar on national TV? He was as incredibly respectful as he could have possibly been in the face of basically being called sexist. He was as gracious and kind and nice as he could have possibly been. And she goes up to him angry. Did you, did you just call me a liar on national TV? I think you called yourself a liar on national TV when you pretended to be a Native American for decades. Are you questioning my integrity? Are we really going to go down that road, Elizabeth Warren? Are we really going to go down that road? So he was as gracious and kind as possible. And she goes up to him. Did you just call me a liar on national TV? He's taken aback. He's like, what? You called me, like, the idea that you leak a story that's mischaracterized at best from two years ago, accusing your friend of being sexist, and then you're indignant, and you leak it a couple weeks before Iowa when he's leading, and then you're indignant towards him? You're indignant towards him. Are you kidding me? And you can tell he's taken aback by it, and he's like, you're accusing me of being a liar. You're accusing me of being a sexist. So I think that was totally planned, totally staged. They knew all the microphones were there. CNN, by the way, sat on it. They had it from the beginning. They were lying, and they were like, oh, the microphones were off, and we need to use backup microphones. Bitch, you were using the microphones that are right there in front of you, and you sat on the audio to make it another story the next day, which is exactly what you did. So everybody's full of it in this, but I have no doubt that she staged that, and she was trying to provoke a reaction out of him a very angry reaction, and then the campaign would have used the angry reaction to try to further prove their point. But Bernie Sanders played it cool. He was definitely flabbergasted, but he played it cool. And, you know, he basically walked away from this looking better because I got to tell you, 
everything I saw on social media after this, and not just in the circles I run in, because if you click on one of Elizabeth Warren's tweets and you scroll down, it's all people, I don't follow them, they don't follow me. But all I see, snake emoji, 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 nonstop. Everybody sees through this. They know what you were trying to do. They know you were trying to leak a story implying he's a sexist to try to take him out of the number one position. They know that now as you're acting indignant that you're the one who made this a story and, you know, this poor guy has been putting through the ringer and being accused of being a sexist and you're acting indignant. I mean, I'm telling you, man, to people on the left who would have voted for Elizabeth Warren in a general election, I don't think it's going to get to that point because she's way behind now and she's shooting herself in the foot. But now a lot of people wouldn't even vote for her in a general election. They wouldn't do it. Because, you know, this is our option. This is our chance to really get Medicare for all and free college and a living wage and end the wars and a Green New Deal and legalize marijuana. And you're trying to sabotage the candidate who would give that to us in favor of one with a melting brain who could barely put together a coherent sentence and is a status quo defender? Please. I think that this was planned. I think that she knew what she was doing. She knew this would become a story. She was trying to provoke a reaction out of him. And... um it's terrible. Now, by the way, the, the consensus opinion you see on social media and among actual people, you're seeing the exact opposite in mainstream media. Every, everybody who comments on mainstream media says, we believe Elizabeth Warren, we don't believe Bernie Sanders, and um, you know this, this should end his campaign type stuff. We knew when those polls came out, those, that final round of polls came out that showed Bernie winning, we knew, oh my God, guys, it's about to get ugly because they're going to throw everything they got at him. What I didn't know, what I couldn't have predicted, is that it would have came from Elizabeth Warren. i got to be honest with you guys, man. That hurts. That hurts a lot. Um, I hope Bernie weathers this storm. I hope he comes out better. I know so many people donated more money when they saw all the crap that was getting thrown at Bernie. But, um, man, listen... We all just all we want is Medicare for all and free college and a living wage and ending the wars and a Green New Deal, legalizing marijuana and getting money out of politics and reducing income inequality. Like this is all we want. And mucked up scandals like this, which are based on lies or half truths, they're just not going to change our mind. It lights the fire under me a hell of a lot more, if anything. Okay. All right, next. Let's go to Wolf Blitzer embarrassing himself. CNN embarrassed themselves at the Democratic debate the other night. Here's a question for Bernie from Blitz Wolfer, and it, this speaks for itself. I'm going to mock it when we come back. Senator Sanders, uh, in the wake of the Iran crisis, Iran's Ayatollah Khamenei has again called for all U.S. troops to be pulled out of the Middle East something you've called for as well, yet when American troops last left Iraq, ISIS emerged and spread terror across the Middle East and indeed around the world. How would you prevent that from happening again? Now, of course, he goes on to give a good answer, a typical Bernie answer, makes perfect sense, but 
Man, oh man, that question. First of all, let's take a minute to digest how he said the Ayatollah's name. Uh, Mr. Sanders, you and the Ayatollah, Khamenei. <laughs> Come on, Wolf, reel it in, pal. What are you doing, buddy? Pump your brakes a little bit. Wow, that was weird. Um, but the question is, hey, Bernie, you know who else agrees with getting troops out of the Middle East? The Grand Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader in Iran. Why do you agree with the Supreme Leader in Iran, Bernie? That's the question? That's the way you're going to frame it? I mean, that is so close to, you know, in World War II, Hitler wanted us to withdraw. Why do you agree with Hitler? Oh, come on, man, with the hacky nonsense. This is so hacky. All this is so hacky. I hate it so much. I mean, look at the framing. You could, he could have gone with, you know, the most quoted intellectual still living, Noam Chomsky, wants to get our troops out of the Middle East. Why do you want to get our troops out of the Middle East? Why is that obviously the correct policy? <laughs> like, that's how you could have framed it. No, he went with the Grand Ayatollah and you agree. Please defend your record in agreement with one of the worst people on the planet. That's the implication. That's what they're trying to say. And then the other thing is, well, when we pulled out last time, it led to, the, it led to ISIS. So why are you okay with ISIS reemerging? How would you stop that from happening? See the framing? Guys, the, the trick is not in the question. It's in the framing. Because the framing leaves you, it implies what you're supposed to believe without actually making a case for believing in that position. So it tries to paint the pro-war position as obviously correct, and the anti-war position as stupid and naive and in agreement with our enemies. That's what he's doing there. I mean, this is, this is Bush League stuff here, man. It really is. So uh, to the ISIS point, yeah, you know how we could have avoided al-Qaeda being in Iraq and ISIS being there as well if we never went in in the first place? That was one of the things that became apparent during the Bush years is that Guys, al-Qaeda only went to Iraq after we invaded. They weren't there originally. They went in there after we invaded. So the anti-war people correctly pointed out, like, if, if we just didn't go in, this, this wouldn't be a problem. Oh, that's right. And it also turns out that Saddam Hussein, as vicious and terrible as he was, he also was an enemy of jihadists because jihadists, he thought, threatened his power. So he would go after them as well. Similar dynamic, again, to what we see in Syria, Bashar Assad. You could say terrible dictator, but you know who he's, he's going after? ISIS and al-Qaeda and jihadists. So, I'm, again, the framing is everything here, and the framing is so gross, and it tries to imply what you're supposed to believe up front. You could have framed the question, hey, we've been in the Middle East for nearly two decades. We've wasted over $7 trillion, thousands of Americans' lives, and hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. Why the hell are we still there? But no, the argument is, oh, why do you agree with the Ayatollah, and why are you cool with the reemergence of ISIS if we pull out? It really is gross. The solution was never going in in the first place. That's what led to the rise of ISIS. That's what led to the rise of Al-Qaeda in the region. Now you can't blame us pulling out, because then here, what's the logical implication of what Wolf Blitzer is saying? Don't leave. That's the logical implication. Well, if you want to make sure ISIS doesn't reemerge, obviously, don't leave ever. Is that the correct position to take? I'd say no, <laughs> especially when we don't have clean water in Flint, Michigan, and when our infrastructure gets a grade of D+, and you're talking about, you know, staying in Afghanistan, Kabul, Kandahar, uh, staying in Iraq. Are you kidding me? No. People do not want that, and the polls show that, but they don't care. Notice there's no concern about what the public wants in a democracy. 
He's just asking, why do you agree with the Ayatollah? Why are you pro-ISIS returning? Dirty, gross, slimy, underhanded, terrible framing. And this is further evidence that they were, they know Bernie Sanders is up in the polls right now, and they're trying to shove a knife in his back and twist. That's what they're in the process of doing. And that's why all the questions were framed in an anti-Bernie, anti-left-wing way. Okay. All right, let me take a break, guys. When we come back, um, we are going to get to Joe Biden gave us a little hint how he would handle diplomacy as president, and it is not pretty. So we got that and much, much more. Stay right there. We'll be right back.
Son of a bitch. All right, we're back, people. I ain't going nowhere, motherfuckers. Ugh. It is time. It is time. It is time to give you more debate facts. Debate facts. All right, next. I believe um, the move is, yeah, Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave us a little hint into how he would handle diplomacy as president. This would be, you know, a big part of his foreign policy. And um, even though he brags all the time about being Obama's VP, it appears like he's going with anti-Obamaism. Take a look. Vice President Biden, I want to ask you about North Korea. President Trump has met with Kim Jong-un three times. President Obama once said he would meet with North Korea without any preconditions. Would you meet with North Korea without any preconditions? No, not now. I wouldn't meet with him without any preconditions. Look, what we gave him everything he's looking for, legitimacy. The president showed up, met with him, gave him legitimacy, weakened the, the sanctions we have against him. I would be putting what I did as vice president. I met with Xi Jinping more than anyone else. I would be putting pressure on China to put pressure on Korea to cease and desist from their nuclear power, make their, their, their efforts to deal with nuclear weapons. I would move forward as we did before, and you reported it extensively, Wolf, about moving forward the whole notion of defense against nuclear weapons that we would, and when China said to me, when Xi Jinping said to me, that's a threat to us, I said, we're going to move and protect our interests unless you get involved and protect it. I would reunite the relationship between Japan and South Korea, and I would put enormous pressure, enormous pressure on China, because that's also in their interest for them to put pressure on North Korea to cease and desist. But I would not. I would not meet with absent preconditions. I would not meet with the, uh, quote, Supreme Leader who said, Joe Biden is a rabid dog. He should be beaten to death with a stick. I count that. Well, other than that, you like him. Other than that, I like him. And he, uh, he, and he got a love letter from Trump right after that. Mr. Steyer, would you? Yeah, so, um, I mean, listen, this is one of those issues I just flat out disagree. I think Obama was correct, and I think Obama was brave politically at the time to say, yeah, I'll meet with our enemies without preconditions. That's what he said. And famously at the time, it was during the Democratic primary in 2007, 2008, and uh, Hillary went after him on that and made it a whole line of attack, called him like naive and silly and said like, who do you want entering the phone call at 2 a.m. or whatever in the White House? And like, the idea was, look at how stupid he is for wanting to talk to Iran, for wanting to talk to North Korea. And um, so they tried to paint him as naive, whereas in reality, people interpreted him saying that as intelligent and interpreted Hillary's stance on it as, like, childish and hawkish. And so it helped Obama. In fact, that was... Um, that was one of the main reasons why I voted for Obama in the primary in 2008. I'm going back into the memory bank now. That was the first election where I was able to vote. Um, and I originally wanted to vote for John Edwards because at the time he was running the furthest left campaign. 
Good thing he was out of it by the time it got to me, because we all know what ended up happening with John Edwards. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was in my it was down to Obama versus Hillary by the time the primary reached New York, and I was still making my mind up leading into that date. Now here's why. Here's why, because a lot of you were like, "Really? That was tough between those two? Listen, at the time, Hillary was openly arguing in the primary for a single payer health care system. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I know that sounds crazy. But Hillary Clinton in 2007, 2008 ran on single-payer health care. And even back then, that was a very important issue to me. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that put me over the edge against Hillary was her Iraq war vote, Obama saying he was against it, and, um, and this, this exact issue where Obama was like, yeah, I'll talk to our enemies without preconditions. And Hillary was like acting all tough and was like so naive. And I was like, why are you doing this? He's obviously correct. Yeah, like you want to talk to people you disagree with. Now, are there exceptions to that? Yes. Like, should you, uh, you know, take a meeting with ISIS or Al-Qaeda? No, because they don't really have geopolitical goals where you can find, you can negotiate and find a middle path and ameliorate them. You know, if somebody's an actual Kool-Aid drinking jihadist, they want to wipe out all the infidels. So there's no point meeting with them because what are you going to meet them halfway and say, let's wipe out half the infidels? No, but you can meet with people who are, geostrategic and irrational. And for all of Kim Jong-un's flaws, and he has many, and he's a ter terrible on the domestic front, he's a vicious dictator, so on and so forth, but he's acted per perfectly rational in a tit-for-tat way with the international community. Same with Iran. You could say they're terrible domestically, incredibly repressive, so on and so forth, but internationally, they've acted in a tit-for-tat way, and they're super rational, and they don't have world domination goals so you absolutely can meet with Iran. You absolutely can meet with North Korea. No doubt about it. It's barely even a question. So I think Obama was 100% right on that. And that's one of the main reasons I voted for him over Hillary in the primary in 2008. Um, and here is Joe Biden taking the opposite position, saying, no, I wouldn't meet with North Korea. And part of that is because he said the stuff North Korea has been saying about him is terrible. Yeah, but they called Donald Trump terrible things, too, when he went and met with them. And I think he was right in doing that. It's one of the few things I give Trump credit for, is going to talk to Kim Jong-un. Now, you could argue in the case of um, Trump, it's just a raw anti-Obamaism that led him to do that. I think that's a fair argument, and there's some evidence to, to back that up, that he's just trying to do the opposite of whatever Obama did. Um, but in the case of Biden, you also get the sense that it's a little bit of just anti-Trumpism in Biden, which is why he wouldn't meet with Kim Jong-un. Oh, you gave him the legitimacy. You gave him a photo op. He's a world leader. He doesn't, it doesn't matter if you think we're giving him more legitimacy or not. He's the head of a country. That's legitimate. Whether or not you want to acknowledge it, that's legitimate. So um, I just don't agree with the, you know, he says, oh, we gave him legitimacy. And then the thing about sanctions, like, oh, you know, he's weakening the sanctions. Good. We should weaken sanctions because the sanctions only hurt the civilian population. So for you to think like, oh, sanctions are the you know, strong, smart thing as opposed to war, no, you don't have to do war or sanctions. So I just disagree with Biden here. And it's funny because he's given the edge in many polls on, on like foreign affairs. And it's like, no, just like with Hillary in 2016, just because he's been around foreign affairs doesn't mean he's made the right decisions. You could have all the experience in the world, but be wrong about virtually everything. And that's the case with Joe Biden. I mean, he voted for the Iraq war. That alone is so catastrophic a decision that he shouldn't get any edge in foreign affairs. I mean, this, this is embarrassingly wrong. So I totally disagree with him. And it's weird how a lot of these people who are, 
have been in these foreign policy circles for a long time. They just get more and more hawkish, and then by the end of it, they end up taking these kinds of positions. No, I'm not going to meet with people who we disagree with. No, I'm not going to give them legitimacy, and let's just sanction them more and more. I don't agree with any of that. And if anything, that makes us less safe, not more safe. All right, next. Okay, here we go, baby. Bernie was asked a question on trade at the debate the other night. Uh, This is the USMCA, which is the new NAFTA. So let's see what he has to say. I have a lot to say about this one. Trump is expected to sign phase one of a trade agreement with China, and the Senate will likely soon approve a new trade deal with Mexico and Canada, Iowa's largest trading partners. Senator Sanders, you have said that new deal, the USMCA, quote, makes some modest improvements, yet you're going to vote against it. Aren't modest improvements better than no improvements for the farmers and manufacturers who have been devastated here in Iowa? The answer is we could do much better than a Trump-led uh, trade deal. Uh, this deal, and I think the proponents of it acknowledge, will result in the continuation of the loss of hundreds of thousands of good-paying jobs as a result of outsourcing. The heart and soul of our disastrous trade agreement, and I'm the guy who voted against NAFTA and against permanent normal trade relations with China, is that we have forced American workers to compete against people in Mexico, in China, elsewhere, who earn starvation wages, a dollar or two dollars an hour. Second of all, every major environmental organization has said no to this new trade agreement because it does not even have the phrase climate change in it. And given the fact that climate change is right now the greatest threat facing this planet, I will not vote for a trade agreement that does not incorporate very, very strong principles to significantly lower fossil fuel emissions uh, in the world. But Senator Sanders, to be clear, the AFL-CIO supports this deal. Are you unwilling to compromise? The AFL-CIO does. The Machinist Union does not. And every environmental organization in this country, uh, including the Sunrise Organization, who are supporting my candidacy, opposes it. So I happen to believe, and I hope we will talk about climate change in a moment, if we do not get our act together in terms of climate change, the planet that we're going to be leaving our kids and our children and our grandchildren will be increasingly unlivable We're going to get to climate change, but I'd like to stay on trade. Senator Warren. Well, they are the same in this issue. Senator Warren, you support the USMCA. Why is Senator Sanders wrong? I left in that question to show you yet again the framing. Why is Bernie wrong? They did that multiple times throughout the night. Why is he wrong? Not, hey, what do you think on the issue? Why is he wrong? He's obviously wrong, so why? Why do we explain why he's wrong? Guys, they know. They know, they know, they know. Like that Neo song. <laughs> that popped in my mind as I'm saying it. Uh, except it's she knows, I think, for the Neo song. Uh, he's leading by three points, I believe, in Iowa right now. The first four states, he's doing very well. Um, California poll just came out. He's leading. Uh, the only place where Biden's surpassed him by quite a bit is uh, the South. So they know he's doing well. They know he's one of the favorites, and they're just doing everything they can to stop him. 
all the other candidates, the media. I mean, this is getting bad. And uh, they're throwing every, every single thing they got at him. They're not holding anything back because the vote is coming up very soon. So now at first when I saw that, his answer, Bernie's, I was a little bit like, uh, he didn't do too well because I didn't catch his fir- the first things he said there. I thought that he only stressed climate change. But then when I watched the debate a second time, I saw that he actually led with the thing that I wanted him to lead on, which is, no, this trade deal is going to lead to the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs, um, and it's going to increase outsourcing, so why would I be for it? I'm happy he led with that. Now, if, if I was Bernie, that's, that would be the crux of my disagreement. It's totally cool for him to bring up the climate change stuff, and I'm happy that he did, but I make the cornerstone of my disagreement that this will lead to more outsourcing. Um, now, the other thing is, guys, we gotta, we got to get better at labeling on the left. We don't do it very well. You know, Bernie's great at explaining his philosophical disagreements and why he's correct on policy, but what he's not good at is labeling. And you could call this NAFTA 2.0. That's what it should be called, or Trump's NAFTA. Those are the only two ways you should refer to the USMCA, as it's called, because that's what it is. And another provision of this that wasn't brought up is there's a massive giveaway to Big Pharma in this bill. So this is nothing but a corrupt trade deal, which is just like all the old trade deals, which is not good. Um, so I, I think that if you hammer away on the fact that this is a betrayal of Trump's populist rhetoric, that you can win this debate. Now, Elizabeth Warren came out in favor of the deal. And there, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, I think, came out in favor of the deal. And it looks like the deal is going to pass. But I think time will show that Bernie Sanders is correct because this isn't an end, uh, a cure-all for all the problems that we have in this country. If anything, this is going to exacerbate the problems. Now, I've been maligned as being just flat out like anti-trade, but I've spoken about this before. I think trade in a global economy, yes, trade is a necessity. But I always say you should do it as a matter of necessity, and you know you shouldn't be crafting these trade agreements to benefit the owners and the CEO class and the executive class, and you screw over workers in the process, because that's the way our deals are crafted now. You need environmental groups at the table. You need labor groups at the table when crafting these trade agreements. And in my opinion, I would have all my trade agreements would be bilateral trade agreements. So it's you and another country, U.S. and another country. Um, when you have these like convoluted, complicated, multilateral trade agreements, if somebody violates the deal, what are the enforcement mechanisms? What are you going to do? Are you going to rip up the entire trade deal, which maybe four or five countries are privy to? So because one person messed up, the deal is ruined for all of us. So what happens is you'll have one person who violates the deal or two parties that violate the deal, and they can violate the deal with impunity because you ain't going to change anything because so many things are tied into the deal because so many countries are involved. So, but if you have bilateral agreements, if one country messes up, okay, then you can pull out of that one deal with that one country. That's it. So there, you can actually have enforcement mechanisms in bilateral trade agreements. It's harder to do that with these big, complex trade agreements. So, um, and again, having labor at the table, having environmental groups at the table, I think that's all massively important. So I think Bernie's answer is correct here. I think the Democrats who are for this are wrong. And I think if Bernie hammers away on the negative consequences of this particular deal, then, then uh, he can win this exchange because... And and the other thing is, this really does hand Trump a giant political victory. 
at the same time where they're handing him a political victory and impeachment, where they think they're not, they think they're owning him on this front, he's going to get acquitted and he's going to go up at the polls, they're handing him a victory on impeachment, and they're also at the same time, they gave him his military budget, and now they're also going to try to give him the USMCA, and they're going to act like, oh, this is a victory because this is going to help the working class, when the reality is the exact opposite. Ultimately, it will have a negative effect on the working class. So I think Bertie's correct about this, and... It's a shame that, yet again, we're going to go down this road of further exacerbating outsourcing and hurting working people. All right, next. CNN asked the same pathetic question that every other debate had, um, of course, talking about Medicare for all, um, and they followed up with some more anti-Bernie bias. Watch. Senator Sanders, you've consistently refused to say exactly how much your Medicare for all plan is going to cost. Don't voters deserve to see the price tag before you send them a bill that could cost tens of trillions of dollars? Well, what I will tell you is Medicare for All, which will guarantee comprehensive health care to every man, woman, and child, will cost substantially less than the status quo. Medicare for All will end the absurdity of the United States paying by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs and healthcare in general. While we have 87 million uninsured and uninsured and underinsured, and while 30,000 people die each year. On the Medicare for All, one of the provisions we have to pay for it is a 4% tax on income exempting the first $29,000. So the average family in America that today makes $60,000 would pay $1,200 a year compared to that family paying $12,000 a year. We save money, comprehensive health care, because we take on the greed and the profiteering and the administrative nightmare that currently exists in our dysfunctional system. Vice President Biden, does Senator Sanders owe voters a price tag on his health care plan? I think we need to be candid with voters. I think we have to tell them what we're going to do and what it's going to cost. And a 4% tax on income over $24,000 doesn't even come close to paying for between 30 and some estimates as high as $40 trillion over 10 years. That's doubling the entire federal budget for years. There's a way to do that. The way to do that is to take Obamacare, reinstate, rebuild it, provide a public option without Medicare for those folks who want it, and, in fact, make sure that we, in the process, reduce the cost of drug, of drug prices, reduce the cost of being able to buy into the subsidizes further, and make it everybody uh, available to everyone. Here's the deal. That costs a lot of money. That costs $740 billion over 10 years. I lay out how I pay for that. Senator Sanders? Well, first of all, 
what Joe forgets to say is when you leave the current system as it is, what you are talking about are workers paying, on average, 20% of their incomes for health care. That is insane. you got 500,000 people going bankrupt because they cannot pay their medical bills. We're spending twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other country. Look, we've talked about health care for all in this country for over 100 years. Now is the time to take on the greed and corruption of the health care industry, of the drug companies, and finally provide health care to all through a Medicare for all single-payer program. It won't be easy, but that is what we have to do. You can do it without that. You can do without Medicare for all. You can get the same place. No, you definitely cannot. In fact, experts have looked at Biden's plan, and he leaves millions of people uninsured. You're not going to get there without Medicare for all. It's just not going to happen. So, um, listen, the giveaway was again in the follow-up question. They asked Biden, does Bernie owe us a price tag? You asked Bernie about, and your paper, and your paper, and your paper, and your paper, and your paper. You ask Bernie that, and then you go to Biden and you say, Biden, how's Bernie going to pay for it? (laughs) Come on, bro. You guys aren't even trying. You're not trying. It's so transparent. By the way, this is this this is like. Attempt number 14, 15 in our seven debates where they ask, how you going to pay for it? They, guys, they did over 30 minutes on war, particularly with Iran. They never once asked, how are we going to pay for it? They never once asked, how are we going to pay for it with any foreign affair, any intervention or war? But Medicare for all, it's the only question they ask. Forget about asking a couple times. It's the only question they ask. I got an idea. How about you ask Biden um, why his plan leaves millions of people uncovered? How about you ask the candidates who are not for Medicare for All what they plan to do about the 500,000 medical bankruptcies we have in this country every single year? How about you ask um, the people who are not for Medicare for All how they feel about the 32,000 to 45,000 deaths that occur every year because people don't have access to basic health care? Oh, you're not going to ask that. You're only going to ask the cost question. It's only going to be for Medicare for All because these, you know, moderators, these reporters are basically doing the bidding of the for-profit health insurance companies and big pharma. And I have, a, I have a story that we'll get to later, which you're going to be floored by. It is a question, I kid you not, which was probably literally written by a big pharma lobbyist, an executive, uh, who Wolf Blitzer asked the question, and it's like straight out of big pharma propaganda 101. It's stunning. He didn't even bother to like switch it up a little bit to mask it. No, mask off. Here. Uh, Big Pharma propaganda, go, respond. Unbelievable. But guys, here we are, the 7,312th time they ask, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all, when every single time Bernie answers, he's correct. And when he says, it saves money. The question is not, how do we afford Medicare for all? The question should be, how do we afford not to do Medicare for all? How do we afford our current system? There was a very detailed analysis that looked into this from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and they found that Medicare for All 
saves $5 trillion over a decade. Even if you take the furthest right-wing bias study from the Libertarian Mercatus Institute that was Koch Brothers funded, it saves $2 trillion. So you have a window of Medicare for All saving anywhere from $2 trillion to $5 trillion. I think some estimates go above $5 trillion. But either way, you're talking about saving money with Medicare for All. Right now, we spend more than the rest of the developed world when it comes to our health care. We spend like double, close to double what other countries spend, and we get worse health outcomes, and not everybody's covered. When you get rid of the unnecessary, rapacious, for-profit, mafia middleman getting in between you and your doctor, turns out you save the average person money. But it's like they never learn, they never listen to his answer, because the point is to do propaganda. It's, it's a propaganda question. It's to, bias, it's to bias it up front and just plant that seed in people's minds, like, oh, yeah, yeah we can't pay for it, right? So it, that's the whole point here. The whole point is the bias in the framing up front. That's the trick. And they just hope that people tune out as Bernie's talking. Now, if I was coaching Bernie, I would have him sharpen up his answers a little bit. He gave a very good answer, and he is a rather plain-spoken, straight-to-the-point kind of dude. But I would even sharpen it even more because the questions are always very to the point. And then if you take a while to respond, people can get lost. They don't have great attention spans. So you just want to make it as snappy and to the point as, as, as humanly possible. And, uh, and this is actually what Trump was so good at, and I think it's one of the reasons he won, is that he, would, he disarms immediately. He just flips it right back on whoever's coming at him immediately, whether it's the question or you know, somebody who's on the debate stage with him. And, you know, I would coach Bernie to be a little more snappy in that respect as well early on. Like when they ask, how are you going to pay for it? He should immediately flip it back and say, how can we afford not to do it? It saves money. Now, he said that, but he kind of drew it, you know, it was drawn out a little bit longer. So I don't know. I think, I think it was good, but I do think we can get a little bit more snappy, a little bit more to the point. And um, it's just a shame that there's this relentless bias. And, you know, Biden is framed as the serious guy and all the other candidates who are not for Medicare for All is framed as the serious people, when any serious objective analysis would instantly uncover the fact that we're the outlier in the developed world and our system is the worst according to the studies on it. That's not Kyle Klinsky speaking. So it, it's just they're never going to paint an ac accurate picture for you, and this is why the media is biased, and this is why they're terrible, and this is why they suck at their jobs. All right, next. Blitz Wolfer asked a question at the Democratic debate that was um, probably literally written by a big pharma lobbyist. I wish I was kidding, but... Let's watch, and then I'll, I'll break it down for you and explain exactly how insane this question is. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about prescription drugs right now. Uh, prescription drug prices in 2018, Americans spent $335 billion on prescription drugs alone. That's about $60 billion more than they paid a decade ago. Senator Warren. You called for the creation of a government-run drug manufacturer that would step in if there is a drug shortage or a price spike. Why does it make sense for the government, for the government to manufacture drugs 
especially when public trust in government is near historic lows. So the big pharma companies are price gouging you, are ripping you off, are getting wildly wealthy at your expense and at the expense of average people. And the question is framed, why should we trust the government to do anything when people uh, don't trust the government? Again, that was probably literally written by a healthcare lobbyist, a big pharma lobbyist, and they gave it to Wolf and he just read it off. Guys, that was really bad. That was so bad. So I have specific information on this that's super important. There were 210 drugs that were approved by the FDA from the years 2010 to 2016. Of those drugs, all of them, all of them came out of research that was funded by the government. Of the $100 billion the NIH, National Institute of Health, spent during that time frame, more than half of it, $64 billion, ended up helping the development of 84 drugs. So in other words, in layman's terms, our tax money funds the research and development that creates these drugs, that creates the medicine. And then a for-profit health insurance company comes in there, buys up the rights to that medicine that we just created with our tax money, and then sells it back to us at a massive profit margin. And then Wolf Blitzer's question is, why should anybody uh, trust the government when trust in government is at an all-time low? Why should anybody trust the for-profit health insurance companies when everybody knows they're price gouging us and ripping us off? And I'm sure that they're even more disliked than the government is. And by the way, what are you even talking about, trusting the government at an all-time low? Yeah, like trusting Congress is at an all-time low. Congress is not going to be making the drugs. You're not going to have Nancy Pelosi sitting there with, her, with a mask on, you know, splicing stuff up. That's not the way it works. I mean, again, that is just a flat-out, like, written-by, big pharma lobbyist question. That's what that is. So, listen, our tax money funds the research and development of these drugs. So, yeah, there should be a government option where you get the drugs at no profit margin. You know, there's an argument that all, all of it should be free. When you go to, um, in the U.K., apparently, anytime you go into a pharmacy, it costs like 10 or 20 bucks for any drug that you need. So there's just a little bit of a copay, but, it, you know, it's mostly funded by the taxpayers as part of the NHS. So, you know, the real question is, in this country, should we go about, uh, you know, creating a system where there's a zero profit margin government option for drugs, or should that be totally funded as part of a Medicare for All system where anytime you need medicine, you go to the pharmacy and get it, and it doesn't cost you anything out of pocket? That's the real debate. But the way Wolf Blitzer is spinning it, he's trying to say, well, obviously we can't trust government. Government's terrible which means what? The default is, well, the for-profit health insurance companies got this under control. But they're the whole reason that we have this price-gouging crisis in the first place. So what a terrible question that was. And it really shows you, Wolf Blitzer is, he's a human robot, but all he has are his corporate talking points, and that's why he's in the position he's in. I don't know if you guys remember this, but this story always stuck with me because it's particularly egregious. Rand Paul was doing an interview with Wolf Blitzer one time, and Rand Paul was saying we shouldn't arm Saudi Arabia because um, of all the 
you know, human rights violations and the genocide in Yemen and they're killing innocent people and all that stuff. And I kid you not, when Wolf Blitzer's response was, what about the jobs? What about the profits of the defense companies? That really says everything there is to say about Wolf Blitzer. He's in the position he's in because he's not that bright. And he's going to go with whatever narrative the establishment and the powers that be want him to go with. And this is such a clear example of it right here. Okay. We're going to go to the cloud boot jar in a second, baby. Here we go. Amy Klobuchar is somehow still on the debate stage. Um, And she's going to give us her take on impeachment here and put us to sleep. (laughs) You're going to be a juror in the trial in the Senate that's about to start. Do you worry President Trump will be emboldened by acquittal? No. We have a constitutional duty to do, to perform here. And when I look at what the issue is, it's whether or not we're going to be able to have witnesses. We've asked for only four people as witnesses. And if our Republican colleagues won't allow those witnesses, they may as well give the president a crown and a scepter. They may as well make him king. And last time I checked, our country was founded on this idea that we didn't want to be ruled by a king. And I think the best way to think about this trial and what we're facing in this election is a story of a man from Primgar, Iowa. His name was Joseph Welch. He came from humble beginnings, the son of immigrants. He became the Army Council, and he was the one that went to the Joseph McCarthy hearing. And when McCarthy was blacklisting people and going after people because of their political beliefs or supposed political beliefs, there was only one man, everyone that was afraid, they're afraid of being blacklisted, Joseph Welch. He stood up and looked at McCarthy and said, have you no sense of decency, sir? Have you no sense of decency? This is a decency check on our government. This is a patriotism check. Not only is this trial that, but also this election. And no matter if you agree with everyone here on the stage, I say this to Americans, you know this is a decency check on this president. Yes, yes, have you no decency, (laughs) What on earth, man? You're in the age of Donald Trump. You think this faux patriotism garbage is going to land? You got a dude starting tweet fights with actresses and shit. (laughs) You think think this is going to work? Have you no decency, sir? This is a decency check, and this is a patriotism check. Well, everybody knew Donald Trump was a loose cannon before they elected him, and then they elected him. So when the cornerstone of your argument against him is, this man is a loose cannon, that's not going to work. God, it's so, oh my God, it's so annoying to watch people 
go right back to the playbook like it's 1992 in the year 2020 when every rule that people thought existed in politics in the 1990s has been proven to be not real. And that's what she goes right back to. And by the way, we have to point out the irony of um, her bringing up McCarthyism when the Democrats went all in on Russiagate and they accuse everybody they don't like of being a Putin puppet or in bed with Russia. And they also did it to Tulsi Gabbard. They're doing it to um, Bernie Sanders. They did it to Jill Stein. They do it to Republicans all the time. So for a Democrat, a, a corporate Democrat, an establishment Democrat to be like, this reminds me of the terrible era of McCarthyism is hilarious because you're ushering in the new era of McCarthyism. It's, it's embarrassing. This is embarrassing. And I, I can't believe that she thinks there's an audience for this at this late date. That have you no decency, sir. She, ha- she would get eaten alive by Trump. We're going to get to a story, a Mayor Pete story in a second, too, because his, counter, his counters to Trump are just as bad. Um, but these people get eaten alive. Because what do you, you think you're going to, like, step to him with this silliness and he's going to, like, lay in a chalk outline of himself and be like, you got me. That was unbelievably powerful when you said the thing about patriotism and decency. Perhaps I'm not decent enough for this country. It's not going to happen. He's going to laugh at you, and he's going to body slam you. So that was just sad. And then the other thing is the total dodge of a completely legit question that makes sense. The question is, will acquittal embolden Trump? Um, Yes. Number one, it's a fact he's going to get acquitted. So I know they're trying to hide that for political reasons, but it's true. He's going to get acquitted. Definitely going to get acquitted, number one. Number two, yeah, of course it's going to embolden him. Yeah, he's going to puff his chest out and go around and act like he's invincible. You want to know why? Because he is. Because you made him that way. Because your arguments against him are so trash, and they've been utterly trash from day one. He just assassinated a foreign head of state with no approval whatsoever. Did a drone assassination against U.S. law and international law and the Constitution. And you're busy impeaching him over a phone call. Have you no decency, sir? Yes? You'll all vote for me now, because I have decency. <laughs> you know what the reaction is going to be, right? They're going to ask him, have you no decency? He's going to be like, I don't, and that's okay, because I'm still going to win. <laughs> that's going to be the reaction. Oh, man. Amy, what are you doing? How are you still on stage? We need to repeal and replace Cloud Boot Jar and Mayor Pete with Tulsi and Yang, because at least they say things from time to time, to time on stage that uh, are reasonable. Okay. Bernard time. Bernie was asked a question um, at the Democratic debate, and he's been asked this question a thousand times before, but I think he handled it well, so I'll play it for you. It's about, oh my God, you're a socialist. People are like so against that. How are you going to win? I hate questions like this, man, because it's like, yeah, people might be against something until they're not. You know, people didn't think we'd have a black president in this country until we did. 
People didn't think we'd have a dumb game show host buffoon who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth as president until we did. So, yeah, Bernie describes himself as a socialist. Whoop-de-doo. He's actually a social democrat when you look on paper, and all of his policy positions are wildly preferred. Uh, so the question is dumb, but anyway, here you go. Senator Sanders, you call yourself a democratic socialist, but more than two-thirds of voters say they are not enthusiastic about voting for a socialist. Doesn't that put your chances of beating Donald Trump at risk? Nope, not at all. And that is because the campaign that we are going to run will expose the fraudulency of who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is corrupt, he is a pathological liar, and he is a fraud. Now, when Trump talks about socialism, what he talks about is giving hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks and subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Donald Trump is a businessman, received $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies to build luxury housing. My democratic socialism says health care is a human right. We're going to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. We're going to make public colleges and universities tuition-free. We're going to have a Green New Deal and create up to $20 million saving the planet for our children and our grandchildren. We are going to take on the greed and corruption of the pharmaceutical industry and the insurance companies. That is what democratic socialism is about, and that will win this election. Again, I find it amazing. How many times have they asked the question in this debate, or in these debates, um, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all? It's every debate. It's every debate they ask that question. Uh, and there's another one that he gets all the time. Oh, my God. You're so good. And, like, maybe that'll hurt you in the general election? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I think this is the 912th time you've asked that question, and every time he knocks it out of the park. Again, on paper, he's actually a social democrat, which is just like FDR. It's just like the dominant philosophy in every developed country in the world. And what that says is it's effectively a mixed market economy, but you have certain things that are taken out of the marketplace. And those things are the things that should be out of the marketplace. You know, free college, um, Medicare for all, those are things that are off the table and part of a civilized society. He talks about a living wage. Um, he talks about a Green New Deal to create millions of new jobs and move us towards a green and renewable energy future. So, yeah, all this stuff is wildly popular, and that's the point. When you look at the polls, people agree with him. So, okay, the label itself might not be all that popular in some polls. Yeah, but he, he, he doesn't focus on it as much as you guys do. He focuses on the policies. You guys get caught up on the label. So it's, it's just obnoxious. It's so annoying. And the other thing is, it's true that Donald Trump is a corporate socialist, a.k.a. a corporatist. That's what he is. So he is more than happy to give the elites in society, the corporate overlords, the military-industrial complex, Wall Street, they can loot the Treasury. They can raid the Treasury all day long. Totally fine by him. His, his uh, tax break was 83% of it was a giveaway to the top 1%. So, you know... He is just a different kind of socialist. He's a corporate socialist. And what Bernie's talking about is social democracy, which is helping working people, fixing the system. So I'm so tired of these questions, man. Honestly, it's almost like all the moderators in all of these debates 
go to the previous debates, look at what people asked and said, okay, let's ask the exact same questions except dumber. Tom Steyer, 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 Tom Steyer, Steyer, uh, he was asked about buying his way on stage, which he absolutely positively did and has been doing. And um, his response is amazing for how uh, poorly thought out it was. You could tell he, he didn't really consider beforehand being asked this question, so he's just kind of spitballing, and it's not a good look. more than $100 million of your own dollars on television ads. How do you convince voters that you're more than just your money? Look, we know how Donald Trump is going to run for president. He's going to run on the economy. He's already told Americans last month in Florida, you don't like me and I don't like you, but you're all going to vote for me because the Democrats are going to destroy the economy in 15 minutes if they get in control. So let's be clear. I started a business by myself in one room. I inherit, didn't inherit a penny from my parents. I spent 30 years building that business into a multi-billion dollar international business. Then I walked away from it and took the giving pledge and started organizing coalitions of ordinary Americans to take on unchecked corporate power. But whoever is going to take, beat Mr. Trump is going to have to beat him on the economy, and I have the experience and the expertise to show that he's a fake there and a fraud. Look, Mayor Pete has three years as an analyst at McKinsey. I have 30 years of international business experience. I can beat Trump on the economy. We're going to have to beat him on the economy. And I look forward to taking him down in the fall on the debate stage. Mayor Buttigieg. Uh, you demoted me. I was actually an associate, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was not, it was not the biggest part of my career. but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you from Harvard? Did you go to Phi Kappa Beta? I'm a Yale man myself. I enjoy water polo as much as the next man. If you'll excuse me, my tea time is at 2.30. <laughs> I didn't have to throw golf in there. I love golf. Everybody knows that. I almost feel bad for throwing golf in there. It's like I'm disrespecting myself. Plenty of normal people play golf. Um, anyway. Wow. Yeah, yuck it up about McKinsey. <laughs> yes, money and power. Power, wealth. <laughs> it's like they're the only two in on, like, an inside joke in the entire room. You demoted me. I was actually an associate, good sir. <laughs> oh, man. Why is everything so terrible? <laughs> okay, putting that aside. So uh Stairs basically asked the question, like, you spent $100 million on ads. How do, you, how do voters know you're not just your money? Like, you kind of bought yourself on stage, didn't you? That's what you did. And his response is, to me, bro? Listen, I know the economy, all right? What? <laughs> what? You can buy your way on stage and not know the economy? You just bought your way on stage. 
That's like the exact opposite of having like credentials, experience to put yourself on stage. You did the opposite of that. You like unfairly got on stage by buying your way on stage. But then also the thing he said there is like shows a fundamental misunderstanding of this political era. Now, Steyer Steyer hasn't been as bad on this as other candidates, but this is his first like giant misstep in the framing on this because he said, well, I mean, listen, Trump's going to run on the economy. And so I can take him on on the economy. Dude, Trump is going to run on the economy, and anybody could take him on on the economy, because that argument is the least powerful argument he could ever use. The reason he won in 2016, one of the, one of the reasons was he was run, make America great again. So in other words, it's not great right now. Everything sucks. Everything is terrible. Everything's falling apart. We're outsourcing all of our jobs. We need to rebuild our infrastructure. We need to end these stupid wars. The whole thing was like, kind of like the Obama message, change, change, change. I'm going to bring change. I have to change this because everything sucks. That was the idea. Now, if he decides I'm going to run on, instead of make America great again, if he decides I'm going to go all in on the keep America great thing, and oh my God, look at the low unemployment numbers. That is going to backfire spectacularly because the stock market is doing well. The rich are doing really well, but average people are not doing really well. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, for example. 7 million people lost their health insurance. This idea that, like, because the stock market is doing well, the economy is really great, and I could take him on on the economy. No, the, but, you're, see, you're already conceding to the framing that, like, oh, the economy is great, and so you need somebody who knows the economy to take him on on that because he's doing well with the economy. That's the implication of what Steyer is saying there. Steyer Steyer, Steyer. And he's wrong. He's wrong because the economy is not great. All the indicators they use are terrible indicators. So, um... It's just so silly. Dude, you bought your way on stage. Please, please go away. You know, Mike Bloomberg's got to be somewhere triggered because Steyer Steyer got in before Bloomberg, and so he had enough time where his $100 million worth of ads bought his way on stage. Whereas Bloomberg, he came in a little late, and so he's not even able to buy his way on stage at the late date. If he started earlier, he probably would have bought his way on stage as well. But Bloomberg's bought 5% in the polls. It's kind of crazy. Steyer Steyer's about the same. I mean, this is nuts, but it's funny because it shows the terrible effect of big money in politics as Steyer Steyer pretends at other times to be against money in politics and, and corporate power and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's not good. I don't like it, and uh, I wish he'd go away. All right, next we're going to make fun of Mayor Pete, and this is one I've been waiting for. Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete talked about exactly how he would take on Trump in a general election. And this is quintessential Mayor Pete. It's, he's the grandiose view of himself. He's, he sees himself, like, in the show The West Wing, delivering this, like, uh, powerful rebuke of Donald Trump, when in reality it is just so, crank that cringe meter up to 12,000, dog. Watch this. But I am ready to take on this president on the economy. Because I am from the exact kind of industrial Midwestern community that he pretends to speak to and has proven to turn his back. And 
guided that community through a historic transformation when at the beginning of the decade I took office. We were described as a dying city. I'm ready to take on Donald Trump because when he gets to the tough talk and the chest thumping, he'll have to stand next to an American war veteran and explain how he pretended bone spurs made him ineligible to serve. And if, and if he keeps trying to use religion, if a guy like Donald Trump keeps trying to use religion to somehow recruit Christianity into the GOP, I will be standing there not afraid to talk about a different way to answer the call of faith and insist that God does not belong to a political party. I am ready to take Thank on this you. president on every Senator Klobuchar. Oh, I want to take a shower after I watch that. <laughs> oh, God. He really, listen, listen. I mean, to me, he either reminds me of Christian Bale and American Psycho. Go watch that movie if you haven't seen that movie. I'm not saying he's a murderer, of course, Mayor Pete, so calm down with all the fake outrage if you're about to go in that direction. But uh, he gives me that vibe, the, the American Psycho vibe. The other thing he gives me is um, Joe from the show You on Netflix. That's the sense I get. <laughs> Everything seems so calculated and, like, prepared and... Like, even the way he ended that there, I am prepared. Uh, hold on. I wanna, I'm wanna. i not going to play it for you guys, but I want to play it for myself here. The way he says it at the end, I'm prepared to take on this president in every way or whatever. Let me hold on. The call of faith and insist that God does not belong to a political party. I am ready to take Thank on you. this president on every The way he moves his head is like an Obama knockoff. I'm ready to take on this president on every front. Like, oh, God. Stop. Could you... Could you be yourself? That, that's the thing that annoys me, is that there's not any genuine, like, real glimmer there. It's all of it's an act. Like, he wakes up in the morning and puts on his clothes and then also, like, you know, puts himself under a spell to be, like, a parody, a caricature, a stereotype of a politician, a smooth-talking politician with his cheap Obama knockoff. It's the same thing with Beto. Beto, my stork, same thing. He was, like, trying so hard to be like Obama. It's just... Okay, anyway, so some of the arguments used there. I'm from the Midwest, therefore, uh, you know, it's the same thing Klobuchar does. Like, she uses her geographic location as a reason why you should vote for her. (laughs) That's a terrible argument. Um, And then he says, uh, Trump would have to, if I'm on stage with him, Trump would have to stand next to a war veteran. And have to explain why he dodged the draft by saying he had bone spurs. I think Trump would eat Mayor Pete alive. Because Trump, for all of his flaws, and he has many, he's quick. He's quick. And so when Pete says something like, I fought for our country bravely, while you, sir, pretended you had bone spurs. And I could see Trump, like he did uh, to Jeb Bush, Fire back, be like, it was a dumb war. It was a dumb war. We shouldn't have been there. Of course, I wasn't going to go fight a, a Vietnamese person. They never did anything to me. We shouldn't have been there. Everybody knows we shouldn't have been there. It was the right thing to do that I missed that war. And he would walk away winning that exchange. <laughs> um, and then uh, the religion thing. He's done this multiple times now where he, like, he's, there's a concerted effort to bring religion into the conversation and to use it as, like, you know, like a cheap thing to try to get applause and to try to get supporters. Like, 
you know, our party doesn't do as good of a job of talking about religion as the Republicans do, but I will bring a new kind of faith back into the center light. That's what I will do. I'll show them that there's a different way. And it's like, okay, yes, there are many many religious people out there who are more liberal and open-minded and tolerant, and they don't like that evangelical fundamentalist Christianity stuff, but listen, as a general rule, the Democratic Party is more secular, and they should be more secular because it's a bad idea to mix religion and government. Now, I get it. He's not saying I'm going to use that policy-wise. He's just going to use it as a tactic to get elected here, but it's still just so gross. It's like these are all like shortcuts to try to make you think he's a good candidate and you should vote for him when he's not actually giving you any policy reasons to do so. It's all, it's all like surface West Wing nonsense. And that's the main point is that this is like a West Wing speech. In his mind, he's giving, he's giving like a West Wing speech where it's this like soaring rhetoric that everybody agrees, nailed it, and is so brave and amazing. And in reality, it just looks like a transparent politician trying to score cheap points and trying to put on his politician act in as convincing a way as possible. So, um, yeah. Needless to say, not a fan. (laughs) All right, let's do the final story of the day in our breakdown, bitch. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden gave closing statements back-to-back at the debate. And um, you're going to see a stark difference here. I'm going to play it, you know, all the way through, no cuts or anything. And um, it's night and day. You're going to see, excuse me, somebody who's barely coherent. You're going to see somebody who's serious and cares about the issues. And um, just the dichotomy here is something else. Watch. Senator Sanders, what a good debate, but we haven't asked the major question. The major question is, how does it happen in the richest country in the history of the world that half of our people are living paycheck to paycheck, trying to get by nine, ten bucks an hour? How does it happen that when the top 1% owns more wealth than the bottom 92%, half a million people are sleeping out on the streets tonight? How does it happen in this great country? We are the only major nation not to guarantee health care to all. How does it happen that we have a trial care system which is dysfunctional, a criminal justice system which is broken and racist, and an immigration system that needs reform? This is the moment when we have got to think big, not small. This is the moment when we have got to have the courage to take on the 1%, take on the greed and corruption, of the corporate elite and create an economy and create a government that works for all of us, not just the 1%. Thank you. Vice President Biden, character is on the ballot this time around. The American character is on the ballot. Not what Donald Trump is spewing out, the hate, the xenophobia, the racism. That's not who we are as a nation. 
everyone in this country is entitled to be treated with respect and dignity. Every single solitary person has to have in a position that way, in fact, we treat them with decency. It's about fundamental basic decency. We in the United States of America can put up with, we can overcome four years of Donald Trump, but eight years of Donald Trump will be an absolute disaster and fundamentally change this nation. We have to restore America's soul, as I've said from the moment I announced. It is in jeopardy under this President of the United States. We lead the world when we lead by example, not by our power. We, in fact, have to regain the respect of the world in order to be able to change things. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a position right now, we have to remember who we are. This is the United States of America. There's not a single thing beyond our capacity to do if we do it together. Let's go do it. There's not a single thing we can't do except Medicare for all, except free college, except ending the wars, except the Green New Deal, and except about 412 other left-wing priorities that are super important that we actually have to do and should do. I'm getting really annoyed with this because he does this every debate. We can do anything. There's not a single thing we can't do. And, like, everybody on Twitter points it out immediately. Like, but you, you, you just spent, like, 30 minutes arguing that Medicare for All is not possible and we shouldn't do it. I mean, come on, man. It's just pick another line because that one's obviously nonsense and people see right through it. And nobody's pointed out on stage yet. Bernie, I need you to get on that, man. I need you to point out. Uh, well, granted, this was the end of the debate and Bernie couldn't say anything at the end there, but because he says this during the debate, too, you got to point it out. Wait, Joe, you just said uh, there's nothing we can't do, but you also said let's not do Medicare for all. I don't understand. So that is annoying. Now, but look at the dichotomy there. And this is, like, I'm begging, I'm pleading with anybody who's leaning Joe Biden who may have happened to come across this segment. I know most of my audience is not for Joe Biden, to say the least. But you're not going to beat Trump with this. You're not going to beat Trump with the Joe Biden talk there. Guys, all... This, this election is about our character. It's about unity as a country back. It's about America's soul. Like, everything he says is just airy-fairy nonsense. It's just, uh, I'm for good things and against bad things, and the real problem is Trump. But the problem goes beyond Trump. Yes, Trump is a problem, but also the conditions that led to his rise are the root problem. And the sense I get is that Biden is a status quo defender and he won't do much to address those root problems. So we might get even a a worse Trump in the future. You're not going to beat Trump with platitudes and cliches. You're not going to beat Trump by talking about America's soul and respect and dignity. The back to normalcy nonsense doesn't work because Hillary Clinton ran on that same thing. Hey, vote for me. I'll continue the status quo. And she lost. So... uh, but listen, you saw the contrast. Bernie, when he's talking, what did he, he hit a bunch of different issues. He brought up homelessness, talked about the number of homeless people we have in the country, talked about how we can do Medicare for all, we could cover everybody with health care. He talked about how we desperately need criminal justice reform, immigration reform. He kept hitting important policy points while talking about the broader idea of we need a political revolution. Um, now's the time to do it. And then you go to Biden, and it's just a milk toast all day long, character, respect, dignity, platitudes, cliches. This is America. What does that mean? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He doesn't tell you. Why? Because he wants to have all the options on the table when he's president. He's not going to commit to a left agenda. And we all know that as president, he wouldn't pursue a real left agenda. 
So that contrast was stark. And what Biden is showing there is this is not the guy to stand up to Trump. The return to normalcy stuff is uninspiring by definition. Whereas Bernie's talking about a whole new thing, hammering away on policy, hammering away on the overarching themes, which are super important. And to me, that choice is clear as day. And at this point, the Bernie campaign is banking on him doing really well in the first four contests. And then as a result of that, taking momentum into Super Tuesday. But we can't have mixed results in the first four contests because then Biden is a, is a big favorite because he's leading in a lot of the Super Tuesday states. And what an epic disaster that would be if we had Biden versus Trump in 2020. Oh, man, would that be terrible. All right, y'all. That'll do it, baby. That'll do it for our debate breakdown. I can't wait to get these on YouTube, especially the Bernie and Warren things. I know everybody's been itching to hear that. So anyway, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend. I'll see you on Monday. Peace.